C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite guys to read, uh, a well-known Christian apologist in the last century. C.S. Lewis writes, if you're doing your sums wrong, you will get the wrong answer. How many of you agree? Does everybody agree? Just about everybody agrees. Okay. I mean, it's not the most brilliant thing I guess you've ever heard, but there is a simple genius to what he is saying. He's saying if your presuppositions are wrong, if your logic is invalid, if your methodology is faulty and your arithmetic is flawed, you will always get the wrong answer. Always. Simple genius, right? We will always get the wrong answer. Always. Some of us in here are probably doing our sums wrong. We've probably been doing them wrong all our lives. So, we're going to begin with a little audience participation tonight. I'm going to read two passages of Scripture, and I want you to tell me, I don't have a pocket there, okay. I want you to tell me, I want you to tell me, is this man doing his sums right, or is this woman doing her sums right? Okay. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 12 to begin with, so that was right where we were, Luke chapter 12. And I'm going to read verses 16 to 19. I want you to see how this guy's doing his sums, okay? Luke 12, verse 16. And he told them a parable. This is Jesus. The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. I've never understood why he had to tear down the other ones. But anyway, he was going to build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, there's your first uh, man to consider. I'm going to turn over to Mark chapter 12, and I'm going to read verse 41 and following. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 and following. And this is Jesus again. Jesus sat down opposite the treasure, and He began observing how the multitude were putting monies uh, into the treasury, and many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two copper coins, which amounted to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty. She put in all she owned, all she had to live on. So let me ask you, who's doing their sums correctly? In your, in your estimation, who's the closest to doing their sums correctly? Some of you are saying, the woman. Who's arrived at the wrong answer? Can we say that the man has, has arrived at, uh, at the wrong answer? Okay, now here's the hard question. You know, it's, it's real easy in, in, uh, in theory, right? Here's the... Here's the important question. Which one illustrates most closely how you do your sums? Are you more like this man? Are you building barns and hoarding up? Are you more like this woman who sacrificially gives to God? This is an important question for each of us in here tonight. Beloved, I know every day you wake up, the world is telling you you've got to hoard up. I know you get this message all the time. You've got to hoard up. And I, I, want you to, I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not saying you can't have a savings account. 
Jesus is not against the savings account. Okay? The Bible's not against having a savings account. What I'm talking about is hoarding up treasure. This is what we'll be talking about tonight when I use that term. It is the incessant message of the world. You've got to hoard up a bunch of stuff because you can't really trust God. Right? You can't trust Him. Or He's not there. Some will say, He's not there. You've got to look out for yourself. You've got to hoard up for yourself and for your family. I was looking at the internet just yesterday. I saw somewhere, some guy in America, you know, Americans are the worst. I'm an American, so I can say that. You know, now they're saying, you've got to have two million bucks to retire. You've got to have two million dollars. I was with a friend over the holidays. He said, I said, are you, about, are you getting ready to retire? He says, I need two million bucks. You need two million bucks to retire in America? I'm thinking, come on. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. But this is what the world does. The world says you got to do this. Or you're imprudent. You don't love your family. you got to do this. What does God say? You know, you can listen to the world if you want. You can make yourself crazy and miserable. You can look at your, you know, your savings account every day and worry about it if you want to. But what does God say to His children? God says this. Back to Luke chapter, chapter 12. You heard some of this read earlier. God says to that man who's hoarding up, He says, what does God call him? Someone tell me. What does God call that man? He says, you're a prudent man. Keep building those barns. Keep hoarding up. Is that what God says? What does God say? What does He call him? You're a fool. This is what God says. God says, you are a fool. Beloved, I don't want any of you to be a fool. I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to be a fool in the eyes of God. He said, this very night your soul's required of you. Now who's going to own what you prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself. That's the key word. If you love your money and trust your money more than you love God and trust God. That's the key word. Though he lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I want each of you, this is a brand new year. Man, I want you to be rich toward God in 2012. I want you to be rich toward God in 2012. Start being rich toward God. What does that mean? Open-handed. Open-hearted. Honor God in your finances, beloved. It's one thing we're going to talk about with respect to the church. God calls men who spend their lives building barns and hoarding up wealth. He says they're a fool. But you've got to love this woman over in the Mark passage. I love Piper uses the word, he calls it hazardous liberality. I love that word. Hazardous liberality. You know, it wasn't religion with her. It wasn't law with her. What was it with her? I love this awesome God. And He's the most real person in my life. You know, it's about dinner. It's not, it's not about theology, it's about dinner when she throws in those last two, that last cent. She can trust, she, she, has, she is so close to God, she trusts the Lord. Lewis says this, C.S. Lewis goes on to say, when you discover you're doing your sums wrong, the best thing to do is to stop and start over. Listen, beloved, if you're doing your sums wrong, I'm going to challenge you tonight. God's going to challenge you, and He's going to challenge me. In 2012, you do your sums, you do your sums like a son or a daughter of the king. You got it? You do your psalms in accordance with God's Word. Not in accordance with the wisdom of the world, but in accordance with the Word of God. I'm challenging you in 2012 
You do your sums in such a way that Jesus is honored. That's what we're called to, beloved. That's what we're called to. I don't want to be a fool in the eyes of God. I don't think any of you want to be a fool in the eyes of God. Beloved, there's a reason that 16 of Christ's 38 parables are about money and wealth. There's a reason that Jesus talked more about money and wealth than He did about heaven and hell. There's a reason that one theologian estimated that 15% of every recorded word that Jesus speaks in the Bible is about money or wealth or possessions. There's a reason that the Bible contains more than 2,000 references to money, wealth, uh, which is twice as much as to faith and prayer. Why does God give so much ink to this subject? Why do you think? Because money has an insidious way of becoming what? An idol in our lives. Is it, not, is it not a God of this world? Money? The love of money? The pursuit of money? People love it and pursue it more than they love and pursue God. Beloved, it ought not be this way, particularly in the church. We understand the unbelievers. They're clueless. We know the truth. We know our God can be trusted. We know what God says. Lay up treasures in, someone tell me, heaven. Unfailing treasures, He says. Beloved, we just need to believe what the Lord says. This is a big deal. There's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake for you and I in how we handle our money that God gives us. Oh, it's His. You know this, right? It's not yours. You're just a steward of it. Every dollar you've earned came, came from Him, uh, at least in some way. Even if you have a job, He gave you the ability to work and to think and to perform. You owe Him everything, beloved. We sang it in the song just a few minutes ago. There's a lot at stake here. Jesus says in Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and, someone tell me, money. If you've got a love affair going on with money, I'm going to call you to repent tonight. And if you trust money, and you desire money more than you trust God and desire God, I'm going to call you to repent tonight. I'm going to call you to get it straight. I'm going to call you to do your sums the way a son or daughter of the king is expected to do their sums. By faith. Honoring God. Beloved, this is the call of Scripture. Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So I'm going to ask you, where's your heart? Where's your heart tonight? Where's your heart? Is it set on the things of the world? Or is it set on God? And the things of God? Where is your heart tonight? The bottom line, I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this. This may be new to some of you. The bottom line is our money is not about our money. Some of you have heard me preach on money before. I don't, I, I don't preach on it very much. There's so much bad teaching out in the world, particularly the the name it and claim it crowd, they abuse the preaching about money so much. I don't preach about it much. I don't want people to think that we're about money. That's why we don't pass the offering basket. I don't want people to ever think we're about money. We're not about money. We're about God. 
But you know what? God tells His people to bring an offering to Him. And so it's my responsibility as the pastor of this church to exhort you to bring an offering, a worthy offering to your awesome God. That's my job. I'm just doing my job. That's why I get the big money. You know, just to stand up here and Lord willing, get the Bible straight. Try to get it straight and try to tell you what the Lord is saying. Our money's not about us. It's about God. It's about God. Your view of your money is a reflection of your view of God. Your priorities with your money, it's a reflection of how you see God. Your anxiety about financial security, it's a reflection of how you see God. Your practice in giving your money is a reflection on how you view God. Do you understand this, beloved? This is why God gives it so much ink. It's all about Him. With His people, it's all about Him. He knows it. And you're supposed to know it too. You're supposed to know that your money is all about God. It's all about God. Every single bit of it is about God. So how you earn, spend, give, save, um, invest, it's a reflection. It's a reflection of how you see the Lord and how you trust the Lord. I love how John MacArthur says it. He says, the credibility of your Christianity is at stake in how you handle your money. You know, it's often been said, you can, tell, you can tell what a man loves, just look at his checkbook or look at his credit card statement. You can tell. How he spends his money. What is, it, what is it that he really loves? What is it that he's really pursuing? It's transparent in how we spend our money. So beloved, how the way you handle your money, what does it say about God? What does it say about your Christianity? What does it say about your face. So tonight we're going to spend a few minutes talking about this. Some of you may remember it's been a month or two now. Uh, we're in the middle of this series about the, the principles that undergird uh, the International Church of Milan. You, some of you may remember the first one if you were here. The first one was that we are uncompromising on the Word of God. We are like Daniel. We believe it. We're going to do it. We don't, we don't cut any corners here. If it's in the Bible, that's what we do. We don't spin it. We don't cut the edges off of it. We don't try to make it palatable. We don't try to make it warm and fuzzy. It's just what it is. And so we're like Daniel. We just do the Word of God. The second thing we talked about was that we, we know that our God is, is El Shaddai. He's the Almighty God. We're not afraid to take risks uh, in our faith. We don't shrink back. We're not afraid. If we have to step in front of a giant, we step in front of a giant. We saw that with David. The third thing we talked about was not only do we believe in the truth of God's Word, we believe in the power of it. We preach God's Word expecting God to convert His people. We don't manipulate people. We don't put uh, emotional... Yeah, we don't try to put them on a guilt trip. We, don't, we just preach the text. Preach the text and let God's Word say. How does faith come? Someone tell me. How does faith come? It's because the preacher's really good at manipulating your emotions and your psychology. It comes by the Word of God. So we just preach it and we trust God to convert His people. Last, the, last time, the last sermon we did on this series was that, that we understand that, that God is our resource. He is our supply. We come to Him in prayer, confessing our poverty and our weakness. We need Him. We know He is a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. The only way I see Him exists is that God answers prayer, beloved. I mean... All you guys will be gone next year, most of you probably. 
That's just how it is in an international church. Man, if you don't trust God, you'll never pastor an international church because all you guys are out of here. Well, the only way we survive here is, is through prayer. And then tonight, I want to talk about this, this principle about our money. We worship God with our money. We don't talk about it very much. There's a basket right there. We don't pass it. There's a couple of reasons we don't pass it. You know, when we first started, um, and it's okay to pass it. Most churches pass it. That's fine. I, I, I get that. I don't have a problem with that. The reason we don't pass it is because when we first started particularly, we had a lot of unbelievers in the church. I don't want unbelievers to feel like they're supposed to give money. You know, to, get, to throw a, 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 a tip to God. I mean, that's... That's not good. And, you know, sometimes some people give because somebody's being, somebody, they feel like somebody's watching them. That's, that doesn't please God to give because somebody's watching you. And then sometimes men like to give to be seen giving. Yes? Or they throw big money in the, in the plate to be seen giving. None of, those things none of those things please God. So we want it to be as best it can be. We want you to have that worship experience to bring your offering to the Lord, but it's between you and Him. I'm not going to get in the middle of it. It's between you and Him, the offering that you bring to the Lord. So that's just a little background on why we do what we do. We are joyful givers in this church. We are systematic givers. We are sacrificial givers. We are not stingy with the Lord. If, if we had internationals coming through, who, through here who were stingy with the Lord, we wouldn't be here. We've been here eight years. Walking on water. Because God calls His people to give. <laughs> you know, I've, I've said many times in this church, you know, this church won't cease to exist because God is unfaithful, but we could cease to exist because you are unfaithful. Every wave of internationals that comes through here, God's brought you here for many reasons. One is to support the work that He is doing here. So if you're still doing your sums wrong, God says tonight, He says, stop it. If you're still building barns, uh, God says to stop it. If you're still laying up treasure for yourself, God says to stop it. If you're doing your sums wrong, He says stop it. Handle your money in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do sons and daughters not need to be anxious about money? Why do sons and daughters of the King not need to be anxious about money? Why do we not need to hoard up treasure for ourselves? Why do we no longer give our, our affections to the things of the world? Why is all that true for us? What's the short answer? Oh, our God is God. Our God is God. Not only that, He's Jehovah Jireh. Someone tell me what Jehovah Jireh means. I know you know what it means. God is a providing God. You know, the Hebrew is God will see to it. That's basically what it means. God will see to it. You know, Abraham uh, made that sacrifice, but in that sacrifice, God gave Isaac back to him. He's the I, see, he's the I will see to it, God. That's why we can be free. That's why we can be open-handed and open-hearted. Our God is a faithful God. He's Jehovah. Jireh. How many of you know what a theorem is? Anybody know what a theorem is? I know some of you smart people. So we got some PhDs in here. I know... Some of you guys, engineer guys, you know what it is. Nobody wants to say. It's okay. I had to look it up. I didn't know what it meant either. But it seemed like a good word to use tonight since we're talking about sums. It's a provable statement of truth. 
It's a proven proposition. It's a principle. It's an axiom. It's a comprehensive and fundamental law. God's arithmetic is this. I'm God. My people can give freely. Luke chapter 12. Rejoice, beloved. Your Father has chosen gladly to give you every good thing, the Bible says. It's awesome. There's a ton of liberty there. There's a ton of freedom there. We don't have to be all bound up with this anxiety that the whole world is in about money. We don't have to be. Our God is God. That's His theorem. His theorem is, I'm God. Live like it. That's God's theorem. That's God's arithmetic for God's people. I'm God. Live like I'm God. Trust me. Do what I say. I'll provide. What does He say there in Luke chapter 12? He says, listen, you seek first the kingdom of God and what? And I'll try to make sure the other stuff doesn't fall to the ground. What does He say? He says, you seek first the kingdom of God and what? I'll do everything else. This is what God says. The problem is most people in the church simply do not believe this. They simply do not believe what God says. God says, I'll do everything else. If you come after me, you seek first the kingdom, I'll do it all. I'll do everything else. Beloved, our God's God. <laughs> our God's Jehovah Jireh. Are you living like it? Are you giving like it? It's freedom. It's freedom. In that Jehovah Jireh, I looked up in the Hebrew lexicon, it, it, it talks about, it says that God's paying attention. Don't you love it? God's paying attention to what you're doing. He's going to check your sums, by the way. If you call yourself a Christian, He's checking your sums. He knows how you're doing your sums. And it matters to Him. He's told you how to do your sums. He's going to check up on your sums. But God's paying attention to you. I love that another, another meaning is that, it, that God becomes personally involved with His people. Jehovah Jireh. God becomes personally involved with His people. Don't you love that? Another aspect was He gives aid and support to His people. Don't you love that? He is Jehovah Jireh. He gives aid and support to His people. And if we believe this, if we believe these things to be true about Him, Luke chapter 12, you heard it read earlier, Luke chapter 12 becomes altogether reasonable. Look what it says here very quickly. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. What does He say? Be anxious for everything. Is that what God says? Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about food. Don't be anxious about clothing. He says, look at the birds. I handle the birds. I take care of the birds. I mean, what good does it do to be anxious? Verse 25. He says, look at the flowers. I take care of the flowers. Solomon wasn't even dressed like the flowers. Look at verse 28. Here's the, here's the heart of the matter. He says, look, look, he says, look at the flowers. He says, one day they're alive, the next day they're thrown in the furnace. How much more will he clothe you? What? Oh, man of little faith. There it comes right there. You know, it's, every, it's like everything else in Christianity. It's about faith. Do you really believe what he says? Do you really believe what He says? Beloved, it's not what you say you believe, it's what you live. You know, anybody can parrot words. Anybody can just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I believe He's Jehovah Jireh, and then go out in the world and just live like everybody else. Beloved, that is not Christianity. 
God expects His children to live like His Word is true and His Word is good. This is what the Lord expects. You go on down there, He says, verse 29, don't, don't seek what you should eat and, and, and what you should drink. Don't worry about the stuff. I know you need these things. Do you not, do you not understand that God knows it? <laughs> what are you worried about? You know, this anxiety that I see a lot of people just really bound up in, it's blasphemous. I have to say, it ultimately is blasphemous. You ultimately say, I do not believe Him. I do not trust Him. Ultimately, is what we are saying. Then He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all this will be added unto you. Your Father's chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourself purses uh, that do not wear out unfailing treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Beloved, are you doing your sums wrong? Are you still anxious and worried about everything in this life? God says, God says, I take care of my kids. I take care of my children. So let me ask you, are you a giver? Are you a giver to, to God's church and also outside the church? Are you a giver? God's called His people to be givers. Why does God call us to give? I mean, there, there are several ways to answer that question, but there's one preeminent overarching theorem or principle or axiom we could talk about here. Why does God call us to give? Oh, because He does. He does. Nobody gives like our God gives. As one theologian said, God gives and He gives and He gives and He gives and He gives. Look at the cross. And He gives. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. He is an omnipotent giver. I like to say it like that. An inexhaustible giver. God wants us to be radical givers because biblically speaking, to give is to lose. Is that what the Bible says? To give is to lose. What does the Bible say? Someone tell me. To give is to receive. You know, the problem is many of God's people or those who profess to be God's people, they don't believe it. They don't believe that giving is receiving. They believe that giving is losing. God says no. Giving is receiving. Just a couple of quick verses. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord from the first of your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Malachi 3, 10. Bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap for by your standard of measure it would be measured to you in return. Giving is receiving. You know, it's like Randy Alcorn says. He said, man, if we're not, if we're not giving, he says, we're stupid. <laughs> I know that's inelegant. But he, it's stupid based on what God says. So Karen and I always, we've resolved to be less stupid, you know. <laughs> In our giving, I think Alcorn's right. It's stupid. It's a lot of other things, but it's at least, it's at least 
stupid. Some years ago, I had a man in this church. He crashed into to, to Luke 6.38. You know about the good measure pressed down thing. And he wrote me this email. He says, wow. I love these emails I get sometimes from you guys. It says, wow. You know, boom. They crashed into God. Six, uh, Luke 6.38. Wow, we are variable in God's equation for blessing. We are, now, we are not just a bunch of empty paper sacks running around hoping God drops something in. We actually have influence in the blessing supply chain. Okay, he's a businessman. The blessing supply chain. Don't you love that? Then he said, Jesus says we can choose to what degree God tips his wrist when he pours out blessing upon us. Now, you know, I'm not a prosperity preacher. That's not what I'm preaching. I'm not preaching that God is a slot machine. That is an abomination. That is an abomination. I do not preach it. But God says to give is to receive. It may be now, it may be then, on the other side. No matter, God can be trusted in the interim. God can be trusted. I love his imagery here. This man was an aggressive giver to the church. He was sacrificial and he was systematic. He'd made up his mind to bring in the first of his produce He'd made up his mind to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. He'd made up his mind to give good measure, pressed down, shaking, shaken together. He was serious about being rich toward God. His giving reflect his view of God. This man had a substantial family. He didn't worry about his children. He trusted God with his children. He trusted God. He understood about Luke chapter 12. He believed the whole... Jehovah, Jireh thing. And beloved, ultimately, it, it is about worship. I, hope, I don't know if I've said that yet, but I want you to hear me say it. Giving is worship. That's, that's, it's what it is. That's why it's so important to the Lord. It's worship. It's worship. It is worship. So I want to turn real quick. I'm going to turn over to uh, Exodus 35. If you've never been over there, you might turn with me. It's a great verse, great chapter. Exodus 35, verse 4. This is the thing which the Lord commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is willing of heart. Here it is. Here is really, you know, I don't have time to get into the whole tithing thing. But the tithing thing was, you know, Israel was a, was a theocracy. It was law. They were supporting the theocracy. You know, I'm not into New Testament tithing as a rule. It's a good, it's a good concept to bring your first tenth. I think ideally this is where the Christian starts. But I'm not into law giving. I don't think we're called to law giving. Listen, friends, Jesus has called, has called us way past law giving. We're to give not because we ought and we should, but because we want to, because we desire it. This is the kind of giving that God calls us to and, uh, in the New Testament. And He even shows it to us in the Old Testament. Uh, Exodus 35. And I'm just going to really quickly go through here. Verse 21. <clears throat> I want you to listen for this. It says, everyone whose heart was stirred brought an offering. Whose spirit was moved brought an offering. Everyone whose heart was moved, verse 22, brought an offering. Verse 29, everybody whose heart was moved brought an offering. They brought in a free will offering. Chapter 36, verse 2. Everyone whose heart was stirred, they came to do the work. Verse 3 of chapter 36 of Exodus. They brought in the free will offering. And you guys know the story, some of you. Verse 5. The workmen were bringing too much money in and Moses had to tell the people to stop. See, I'm supposed to stand up here one day and I'm supposed to say, stop bringing money. 
We have too much money. I can't count all the money. That's what it's supposed to look like. It's whosoever heart is stirred. Don't you dare bring God a tithe and hate every minute of it. Don't you dare bring God a tithe and resent it. Don't you dare do that. Beloved, that does not honor the Lord and He is not pleased. If you're tithing but you hate it, stop. Stop. God hates that. What does He say in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9? Don't give under compulsion. What does He say? He loves a what? A cheerful giver. Actually, the Greek is hilarious. I see some of you. Some of you come over here and you're hilarious when you drop your money in the basket. You're supposed to be hilarious. <coughs> Beloved, it's, it's, you know, what does the Lord say? What does He say? Oh, I, I, I'm not going to go there. I've got too many other things on my notes. I'm not going to get too far off. I'm not going to get too, too far off. But let me talk about tithing just for a minute. I don't believe that the New Testament Christian is called to tithing. If you, want, you, if you disagree with me, that's fine. Uh, you know, this is not a place where we separate fellowship. That's fine. If you disagree with me, that's okay. I just don't think the New Testament Christian is called to law giving. I think we're called past it. One of the problems I see in tithing is that people get to the tithe and they think they're done. I've arrived. I know God's pleased with me. I know God's proud of me. Beloved, don't stop. You know, I've... I've Karen and I, and she'll tell you, I, I fight this all the time. I, I want to give more. And I'm always finding a way to give more. Um, it's a joy. It's a joy to give more. I believe what God says. Why? You know, Alcorn's right. It's stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. It's... You know, I don't sit, I don't, we don't set a, a, a giving amount and just sit there for 10 years on the same giving amount or the same giving percentage. We're pushing it all the time. We're pushing the envelope all the time. Lord, we want to give more this year than we gave last year. For me, at least, that's a, that's a good principle. Again, one of the problems with tithing is that people, they, they, they think they're done. You're not done, beloved. If you think you're done, you're cutting yourself off from additional blessing with the Lord. God loves a hilarious giver. Just like we saw here in Exodus 35 and 36. It's a stirred heart, beloved. It's a worshiping heart. It's a worshiping heart. This is what God expects from His children. So let me ask you, is your heart Willing? Is it stirred? Is it moved? You know, here's the deal. If we've really met Jesus, if we've really understood what Jesus has done, you cannot not bring an offering. How can you not bring an offering to this awesome God? How can we not do it? Quick illustration. There's a poor woman that some of you, some of you've read the book on the book table, George Mueller's autobiography. You know that he built some several orphanages, and there was this old, this older woman. She was sick, and and um, she only made forty cents a week, and um, she got an inheritance from her dad, and she got a hundred pounds, which was let me see, five years' wages. She got five years' wages. She only made forty cents a week. She was a seamstress, and she brought it to Mueller. She wanted to give it to Mueller to to go toward the orphan house, right? And Mueller said, I, I don't want to take your money. You're old. You're sick. You don't have any money. 
You keep it. Mueller, Mueller gave it back to her twice. And this is what she told him. I love this story. She told Mueller, she says, I have weighed the matter well. The Lord Jesus freely shed His precious blood for me, a poor lost sinner. And shall I not in return show my love and gratitude to Him by giving Him this little sum? Rather than this orphan work should not come to pass, I would give every penny I possess toward it. Beloved, this is New Testament, born-again Christian giving. That's what it is. She could not be restrained. She would not be restrained. One more illustration. John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he talks about a story was told by a Haitian missionary. As most of you know, Haiti is a very, very poor place. And they were having some kind of fundraising thing, and, and they found an envelope with 13 U.S. dollars in it. It was from a guy named Edmund. Everybody knew who Edmund was. 13 U.S. dollars. Now, that would be like me going over here tonight with, the, with whoever's going to help me double count the money and finding about three or 4,000 4, euros. That would be what it's equivalent to. Okay? Uh, this 13 U.S. dollars in Haiti at this time. I don't remember exactly what year it was. 13 bucks. But they couldn't find Edmund. Edmund wasn't at the fellowship. He wasn't at the festival. And so the missionary sought Edmund out and he finally ran into Edmund down in the, in the village and he said, Edmund, man, how did you do this? How did you get $13? How did you do it? That's awesome. He said, I sold my horse. I sold my horse. And he said, well, that's awesome. He said, well, why didn't you stay for the fellowship? Why didn't you stay for the festival? He said, I didn't have a proper shirt. <laughs> he sold his horse so he could give, but he didn't have a proper shirt so he could stay. <laughs> Beloved, I, I don't know about you, but that convicts me. That convicts me. Now, here's a man in love with Jesus. I mean, here's a man who, who's, who's so intimate with Jesus that it's his greatest joy and greatest ambition to lavish an offering on the Lord. Let me just quickly interject. ICM as a church, the church leadership here over the years, the elders have always chosen to, to try to model this for the church. We always have given 15 to 20% of our offerings away. In 2011, we gave 25% of our offerings away. If you take into account this building, which we principally did for the Italian work, we, we, if you take that into account, we, we gave 40% of our offerings away in 2011. So we try to, as a church, model it for the body. I remember I told the congregation, I'm just about done, I told the congregation when I first started here eight years ago, and we had three people, and I promised them I would never preach a sermon asking for money, and I never have. I've never asked anyone for anything. I've never asked any man for money. And I've never really ever asked a man, which I should sometimes probably, in, as far as accountability goes, in one-on-one -on -one counseling, are you honoring the Lord in your finances? I just don't ever want this church to be seen to be about that. But I also cannot shirk my responsibility. But I told the church... I would never ask for money. I'll just preach an awesome God and I'll dare you not to bring an offering. How about that? That's what we've always done. We preach an awesome Savior, an awesome Creator, an awesome Redeemer, a magnificent God, an awesome, wonderful, stunningly beautiful God, and then I dare you not to bring an offering to Him. 
That's my fundraising strategy at the International Church of Milan. And God has blessed it. We've never had an unmet need in this church. He has been utterly faithful. So beloved, if you're miserly with God, God is calling you tonight to repent. He's calling you to repent because it's either a treasure issue or it's a trust issue. Either you treasure your money more than God, which is uh, idolatry, or you trust your money more than God. That's idolatry. So it's either a treasure issue or a trust issue. I call you to repent if you are miserly with God. God has called His people to worship Him with money. One more illustration I'm done. Randy Alcorn. The treasure principle. Listen, man. If you haven't read the treasure principle, you need to read the treasure principle. You'll get jazzed up. Listen, I have a love-hate relationship preaching about money um, because I get convicted every time I do it, but I love it because God pulls me forward. Right? He pulls me forward to give more. I know we're going to have to give more now. It's my great joy to give more. Beloved, to give is to receive. But Alcorn says, you know, you're supposed to be the FedEx guy. You know what the FedEx guy does? He takes a package and he delivers it to the place. God gives you money so you can... Yes, he, he lets you name your own salary. You name your own salary in your home, in your family, what you need to provide for your family. But you give. You take the rest and deliver it. You're, the FedEx, you're God's FedEx guy. I love that illustration. God hasn't prospered you to raise your standard of living. God has prospered you to raise your standard of giving. Beloved, we just need to understand these things. We just need to learn these things. A couple, three or four years ago, the church was in a little bit of a financial, uh, not crisis, but we were going the wrong way. And you know what it says to me? It's not that the church has a cash flow problem. It's that our people have a poverty of spirit. If the people aren't bringing an offering into the Lord, it's a failure to love and worship Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's not really a cash flow issue. It's a poverty of heart and spirit. But I told when I was studying about this and I was going to preach it three or four years ago, the Lord came to me and He, he nailed me. He said, Jim, why don't you and Karen give more? And you know there's only two answers to that question. Now, we can rationalize and we can make a lot of excuses. There's only two legitimate answers. I thought really hard about this. I prayed really hard. There's only two answers to that question. One is... I've already given all I can give. I can't give any more. Now, I doubt that any of us are on that end of the spectrum. Maybe some of us in here are. I'll confess that I'm not. I've already given all that I can. And I can't give any more. The other end of the spectrum is this. I don't want to give any more. Those are the only two ways you can answer that question, honestly, before God. I've already given all I can. I don't want to. So every time I preach this, i got to give more. Because I want to give more. Beloved, you know, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. I'm trying to get you to invest in the kingdom of God. A 10,000 fold return, Jesus says. Listen, man, if I told you write me a check and I'll give you a 10,000 fold return, I'd have so... You guys would be writing me checks. Those checkbooks would be coming out so fast. That's what Jesus says. Not necessarily in this life, but in the next. An unfailing treasure in heaven. C.S. Lewis says, if you're doing your sums wrong, you, need, you will get the wrong answer. When you discover that you're doing your sums wrong, the best thing to do is to stop 
and start over. Jesus Christ says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this strong Word. Forgive us, Lord. Some of us in here need to repent. Lord, forgive us that we've not lived Luke chapter 12. Forgive us that we're anxious and worried. It's really a confession that we don't believe You're God at all. You tell us, Lord, seek first the kingdom and You'll take care of everything else. Lord, help us to believe that. Help us to move forward in our understanding of how we're to honor You with our finances. Lord, we understand this is not about cash flow. We understand this is about love and worship. That's what it's really about. So Lord, we want to be be open-handed givers. We want to be open-hearted givers. So Lord, I pray that You'll plant that in our hearts. I pray that You'll give us a spirit to study the Scriptures and understand the treasure principle that to give in Your economy is in fact to receive. And we cannot outgive you. What an awesome thing. We can never outgive you. So, Lord, we want to walk like sons and daughters of the King. Help us, Father. Help us. Teach us the scriptures. We want to live them. We want to walk on the power of the word. Thank you for this word, great God. We want to be a giving church and a church that gives. Give us that burden. Give us that joy. Give us that desire, we pray in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.